Hello, fellow RVers. This is Melina. And I'm Dan. And this is episode 45 of the RV Connects podcast. We're just a family of four Canadians who like to travel far on our vacations from work, and we take you along for the ride. If you're new to the show, you can expect stories of life on the road, travel tips, and trip reviews to help you get your next trip started. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at RV Canucks, that's R-V-C-A-N-U-C-K-S for all the latest. And please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Facebook. It makes us feel like we're giving great content and helps other new listeners find us. With that said, we're heading into late November, and that means this is the last episode of 2021 and the last episode of our second season. We take the month of December off to unplug, spend time with family, and make sure we don't run out of content as we only get to travel about half the year because Canada weather sucks sometimes. And we have definitive camping seasons here. I would like to take this time to say a big, big thank you to everybody who's followed along with us this far. Uh, Two seasons and 45 episodes, I think, is a pretty big feat for a podcast we decided to start on a whim. So we really appreciate that you're here. Definitely. I think you told me the other day that most podcasts quit after seven episodes. Yeah. And I just want to say that analytics has told us that we're rocking it in Singapore right now. <laughs> Which is very, very interesting. So if you're listening from Singapore, welcome. Uh, so we'll likely be revamping some older episodes with some new content maybe over the holidays. So stay tuned and uh, you can stay up to date if we drop anything new. This week we're talking about Lake Louise, one of our favorite stops on the RV Connects 2021 Grand Tour. We laughed, we cried, we nursed sore knees and old bones, and we ate great pizza. So let's dive in and find out what that trip was all about. So Lake Louise is located in Banff National Park. It's about 57 kilometers or about, you know, 35, 40 minutes from Banff proper. And it's one of the most photographed locations in the world. Formerly known as Emerald Lake, The body of water was renamed to honor Princess Louise, daughter of Queen Victoria and the wife of the Marquess of Lorne, who was the Governor General of Canada from 1878 to 1883. And funnily enough, when I was doing research to find out how Lake Louise got named, I I had to Google what the difference was between a Marquess and a Marquis and found out that basically just the English like to anglicize the version of Marquis. It's basically the same status, the same position, but... We all know how England feels about France from time to time in their history. So that's the only difference. If anybody was wondering, that was the tidbit that I learned this week. Lake Louise is a glacier fed lake. So it's really, really cold. It only gets up to about four degrees at any point in the year. So definitely no swimming. Uh, But it gets its trademark turquoise hue from fine rock dust, which is produced by massive glaciers rubbing against the bedrock. So this silt stays sort of suspended in the water and it reflects the light from the sun, which produces that kind of insta-famous hashtag no filter colors that both Lake Louise and Moraine Lake and any of the other glacial lakes in the area are known for. As you know, we stayed in the Tunnel Mountain Trailer Court campground within Banff National Park and we day tripped to Lake Louise. So if you want to learn more about Banff or booking in the national parks or uh, anything else we experienced within the national park itself, getting the the passes, etc., go back and listen to episode 44 where we explain all of that. But I do want to mention there are actually two campgrounds within the national park which are located just four and a half kilometers away from the lake and only about a kilometer from the village of Lake Louise. 
And they're aptly called the Lake Louise campgrounds. There's a trailer campground and a tent campground. So these are both booked in the same way using the National Parks Booking Service. So it's no different from anywhere else, whether it's Banff or Jasper or your other favorite national park system. The trailer campground accepts larger rigs, only hard-sided units, and it has power only and is open year-round. Important to note that they only take proper hard-sided RVs and trailers because of bears, elk, wildlife, and all the other assorted kind of concerns that might come along with it. Tenting or soft-sided trailers is your way. There's a tent campground. It accepts, you know, soft-sided trailers, pop-ups, hybrids, that kind of thing. You can camp in there. It has protection all the way around from wildlife, but you're kind of close to the railroad tracks. Yeah, so you better be, a, a, I guess, a good sleeper because <laughs> the train does come by quite frequently in that area. You can also bring a small hearted, or hard-sided trailer into the tent campground, but it maxes out at 24 feet. So I think between the two campgrounds, there's just over probably 300 sites between the two of them. The tent campground doesn't have any power though, but excellent options if you're going to stay and spend a lot of time in Lake Louise or Lake Moraine. And although I would say the amenities in Banff are a lot broader, there's a really good reason to kind of stay in Lake Louise. And that would be the atrocious parking situation in Lake Louise. And the fact that basically you need to be there just after dawn to find a place to park. Absolutely. I mean, but I think the point to take away is that there's lots of different options for you to research over the winter before you get onto that National Parks Booking Service and find yourself a site, but there's something for everybody. Mm-hmm. So let's talk parking. Uh, we arrived at probably 10 after 7, and the lower parking lot for like Chateau Lake Louise was already full. And I would say the upper parking lot where we were directed was probably already three quarters full. Yeah. So like the big point to note here is that we did exceptionally well as a family because we were still married and we were still talking to each other despite our early departure time but you know you really do need to get there early or you're going to be disappointed and you might lose I don't know that you're going to lose your day but you're definitely not going to be able to accomplish everything that you want to and we were there pretty close after opening yeah and now the girls weren't talking to anybody and maybe that was like a positive tick (laughs) in the box but uh, yeah we did have to get up mighty early and hit the road we did start seeing signs though on the parkway as we were coming in that would say like you know no lake parking um go to like head to shuttle lot where they have these shuttle buses that run to and from but it didn't really specify which lake And I'm pretty certain we ended up pulling into a shuttle lot thinking, okay, well, if we have to take a shuttle, let's take a shuttle. We haven't planned this. We sort of had planned to get to the Lake Louise parking lot. I kind of think the shuttle lot was more directed towards Moraine Lake. And we pulled into the shuttle lot and we rolled down our window and we talked to the attendant who said, yeah, 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 trucks go park over there. Then he's like, wait, where are you going? And we said Lake Louise. And he goes, oh, if you head up, you should still be able to find parking. So I imagine they do kind of a Lake Moraine shuttle. And then once Lake Louise fills up, then they will start running the shuttle to Lake Louise. However, he did mention something about the fact that we did not have a reserved spot on the shuttle. So it was all kind of very confusing. But after that kind of brief interaction, we sort of hightailed it out of there and drove another, you know, five to seven minutes down the road to Lake Louise. And then that's when we found the parking spot. Yeah, like I think that they really put a good effort in to try and have shuttle services. And we talked about this on the last episode that they had shuttle ser- services from the campground into Banff proper. They they try to have a lot of services and they try to communicate a lot of information. And there's road signs that kind of go over top 
top of the highway, but there's almost so much information that, you know, a, a seasoned travel can get easily turned down the wrong road or make a wrong decision. My advice is just ask somebody when you pull in because there's always somebody everywhere who will answer your questions. And that's the one thing they do really well is they're exceptionally friendly. I I can't think of a grumpy person that worked for Parks Canada that wasn't willing to help get you pointed in the right direction and send you where you needed to be. Mm -hmm. So we made it to the lake. Now in terms of activities, that area is going to be much the same as anywhere else. You've got canoeing, hiking, horseback riding. There's gondolas everywhere at pretty much every major ski hill. Skiing, of course, in the winter. Just basically a lot of like basic outdoor fun. And arguably the jewel of the lake is the famed Chateau Lake Louise. However, I was, well, I was really excited to see Chateau Lake Louise because I have always dreamed of walking inside it and maybe perhaps staying there one day. However, if you're going to have a quick peek around, you will be sorely disappointed because, well, due to COVID and just capacity restrictions, you cannot enter the hotel unless you have a reservation for dining or you're a guest staying there. That's okay because we have Shadow Tracy the trailer. (laughs) Yeah. Now, that's okay because you still get a ton of photo ops and like there's some beautiful things to see if you just kind of wander the hotel grounds outside, which is kind of where you have to start any of the hiking trails anyway. So when we got there... I was actually sort of shocked and you heard me mention kind of the famous turquoise waters but we when we arrived the sun wasn't yet over the crest of the surrounding mountain peaks so the water was like kind of lackluster it was a little bit gray I mean we took some beautiful shots because the moon you could still see the moon in the sky but the water was like I was like huh like does everybody put a filter on this and clearly it doesn't because when we were about halfway up the hike you could turn around and, and view the lake with the sun on it and it is absolutely brilliant it is just stunning. When we arrived, we decided that we wanted to go for a hike and that was always the plan. And the plan was that we were going to hike to one of two tea houses, which are located in the mountains behind the chateau. So there's actually two tea houses. Our original aim was to visit the closest one and the oldest one, which is the Lake Agnes Tea House, and just see how it went, see how we were feeling and decide what we wanted to do from there. I don't know if it was like the delicious tea or the freshly baked tea biscuits, or perhaps it was my trademark stubbornness, but we decided to continue on and complete what is known as the Tea House Challenge. So by visiting the Lake Agnes Tea House and the Plain of Six Glaciers Tea House before looping back to the Chateau, Uh, you complete the tea house challenge. So maybe we'll go through a little bit of each of the tea houses because they are kind of neat and they each have their own sort of vibe to them. Both of them are open June to October. So Canadian Thanksgiving, which is the third Monday in October each year. And they're they're both family operated. So the Lake Agnes Tea House was built in 1901 as a refuge for hikers. It's operated continuously since uh, that time. So for the last 120 years, It's a 3.6 kilometer hike from the Chateau up a very heavily trafficked switchback trail. I would say by far, this is the more popular option for people. Now the elevation gain is about 400 meters or 1300, just over 1300 feet. And it's rated as a moderate hike, which I would agree with. It takes most people about one to two hours to reach. However, I think it would probably be challenging for like the average day tripper who may not be in the best level of fitness, um, who isn't used to hiking or high elevations or is trying to attempt the hike in flip-flops or heeled wedge sandals because we saw both of those on our hike. Listen, 
going to Lake Louise, you're going to see everything from around the world. You're going to see people dressed to the nines and you're going to see people that have their best mountain equipment co-op hiking gear on that are, you know, experts in the backcountry. And so there's a whole spectrum of people there. And on the walk up to the Lake Agnes Tea House, there was a whole spectrum of people. There were all different types of body types. There was old people, young people, young kids. There were big families, little groups, young fit millennials just whippersnappering it up to the top. (laughs) You know, so you can get there. Like, don't let that discourage you. I can't think of a person that couldn't get up there. No, I just say that as in like, it might take you more than the two hours. And that's okay. Like it is doable. There's lots of stops to take a breath and rest. The trail is wide enough that if you need to step off to the side, we stepped off to the side several times to either have water or strip down some of the layers we were wearing as we were making our elevation gain, or to let you know, ripped millennials who were literally running (laughs) past us and have the right of way. So I mean, there's a you can totally take your time. For sure. And you're going to stop and take pictures anyways and enjoy the beauty. It's not about trying to get there as quick as you can. Yes, it is. (laughs) You do raise a good point that when you show up early in the morning, it's going to be cool. And I think one of the things that struck me that day is people that overdressed for a cool morning. So it'd be well advised to dress in layers, pair of shorts underneath, jogging pants if you want, stuff that you can kind of take off easily, roll up get it into a backpack, a light jacket or sweater that you can take on and off. Because I think if I recall correctly, there was kind of times of the day where stuff was going on and off all day long to keep yourself comfortable. So just dress in layers, don't dress for style. That's when I, that, well, don't dress for style because I had to borrow Dan's pants that day. <laughs> so as you'll recall in previous episodes, the girls and I like all forgot pants and we had purchased jeans because we were going horseback riding. However, the rest of my attire was shorts. And normally I'm okay in shorts and like a sweater if it's going to be cool outside. However, this morning, it's early August by this point, and it was like zero degrees. Like it was freezing when we arrived in the morning. It wasn't freezing. It It was brisk. No, it was like zero degrees and it went up to like 18 or something that day. I'm almost positive. In any case, I had my shorts on, but I didn't have any like hiking pants or any sort of like track pants or whatever. So I borrowed a spare set of Dan's and he was very nice to lend them to me. (laughs) In any of the Instagram photos you see of me doing the tea house, I'm wearing Dan's pants and I'm a little bit horrified that they fit me so well. But (laughs) here we are. Yeah. And you know, it's, you know, bring a hat, have your sunscreen, make sure you got some water to come with you, sensible shoes, all those kind of things I think you guys all know about, right? And a bear bell. A bear bell is never a bad idea in that part of the country, even on heavily trafficked trails, because you will find, depending on the time of day, the traffic really ebbs and flows. And particularly when we talk about ascending to the Plain of Six Glaciers, that is a far less traveled trail. So there are going to be times, especially if you're in a small group or solo, where it's just you and the trail gets quiet and there are a fair amount of bears in the area. So having a bear bell is never a bad idea. So a couple of things about the Lake Agnes Trail. About halfway up or maybe just a little further than halfway up, you're going to hit a spot called Mirror Lake, which is like this teeny tiny little lake. It's calm as glass and obviously reflects very well the peak that rises behind it. Uh, There's like a tiny little like beach area around the lake, a couple of spots to sit. 
So that's a perfect spot if you make it that far to take, you know, a break as long as you need. I could have probably sat there all day. It was absolutely beautiful. I think there's a couple informational plaques. That's where the trail branches off into the beehive, the little beehive and the and the big beehive trails and the Plain of Six Glaciers. Or you can continue straight on to the Lake Agnes Tea House. I remember there is a beautiful waterfall, which is just before the tea house itself. And if you remember Ben of our friends, Ben and Janine, who talked to us a couple of episodes ago about Dinosaur Provincial Park, they did the same hike as us a number of weeks before us. And that is where Ben fell into the waterfall (laughs) after talking to his kids about watching where they stepped on the trail. So if you ever make it that far, you can think of our friend Ben. So the last push to the tea house itself is a very large set of stairs up to the tea house proper. I did count it at the time, but I have no idea. I have no recollection now how many stairs there were, but it was enough that I was like, wow, this is a lot of stairs. I'm going to count them. The Lake Agnes tea house, as we said, is very, very busy. We got up there, I'm going to say around 930. Uh, it was around that time. And I think we were just kind of hitting like a bit of a slump in business as like the first round of people who made it up there their first thing in the morning, like all the keeners were kind of finished their tea and they were uh, starting to head down. So we did get a seat uh, on the balcony. There's a couple of outdoor seating areas or you can just order takeout and there's a a menu board at the front that uh, basically shows what they have on offer. There's a variety of teas, there's coffees. They make the best tea biscuits freshly baked at the tea house with jam. There was brownies, cookies, a couple of other refreshments, but a couple of neat things about the tea houses itself, and this goes for both tea houses, is that there's absolutely no power at these. There's no power, there's no running water. So the tea houses are stocked each season by helicopter and the helicopter brings up the propane and it brings up like the million pounds of flour that they must use in a season to create all of the baked goods. And they use propane ovens and I guess whatever other supplies, toilet paper, etc. And that's it for the season. The rest of the supplies either get hiked up by the staff who work there, and then the garbage gets hiked down by the staff, or what they asked you to do and what we did is they, they ask to give you a bag, and you, they give you a garbage bag, you put your own garbage in it, you tie it to your pack, and you hike it back down the mountain. So that's what we did. But uh, it was a really, really cool, very unique experience knowing that they've just been kind of doing the same thing for 120 years. It was still quite chilly, but like a great spot to just stop and and take it all in. Lake Agnes itself was beautiful. There was um, a couple who had just gotten married that had hiked up there for their wedding photos, which I thought was pretty cool. The girls enjoyed seeing that. Uh, But just a fantastic place to stop. Maybe just a couple things here to jump in. If you're going to make this hike up, and I encourage you to, when you have an opportunity to use the washroom, use the washroom. Mm -hmm. There's a washroom at the start near the parking lots, and there's a washroom at the tea house. There's no thunder boxes, porta potties, blue rockets, anything else in between. So when you're going up, and you have an opportunity to use the washroom, make sure that you use the washroom. You make sure that the kids use the washroom. Mm -hmm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe their preference is that you pay with cash Mm -hmm. as well. And the reason they want you to pay with cash is, you know, for the same reason that everything has to be hiked up. They don't have great cell service. They don't have internet. They're, you know, they can try and make it work you know, with a a little cube and tapping your card, but they would just prefer that you bring cash up and pay in cash. So Mm -hmm. listen, if it was me, I put a hundred dollars in your wallet and I'd walk up there and buy your tea biscuits and tea and pay in cash. Mm -hmm. You know, that thing we used to have bills and coins and paper money, (laughs) that kind of stuff. Go, go try and find some of that. Okay. 
Yeah, for sure. As we said before, we decided that we were up for the challenge and we were going to continue on. That was after, I mean, we spent maybe 30 minutes plus another 10 or so to pee and like off we were off again. So to make it to Plain of Six Glaciers, you sort of continue on, like you don't go back down the stairs. There's another path that you continue on that kind of leads you away from the traffic coming up the stairs. And it's five kilometers. It's another five kilometers uh, to the Plain of Six Glaciers Tea House. And the elevation sort of, you go down for quite a bit. And then you end up walking uh, for a kilometer or two along a very pretty level patch, which is just like a really gorgeous glacial, what would you call it? It's an alpine plain. That's the word I was looking for. So there's a ton of flora. There's a ton of fauna, which would change dramatically with the seasons. There's a great view of the glaciers in the background, the Victoria Glacier. So just a like an absolutely beautiful, stunning, stunning hike. One word of warning though is, you know, the last, you know, three to four kilometers of that hike, the elevation gain is quite rapid. So you gain 500 meters over the last four kilometers, um, a little less if you're coming from the Lake Agnes Tea House, like that is measured based on if you take that path directly from Lake Louise. So we had a little less of that. However, you're basically going like 125 meters a kilometer or something in the last part of the hike. So it, it is quite high. And the total elevation of the tea house is 588 meters. So that's about just shy of 2000 feet. I am not going to lie when we were about 200 meters from the Plain of Six Glaciers tea house, like I cried, like I had tears in my eyes thinking like, yep, there's no way the air is thin up here. I can't do it. I can't do it. My legs were going to give out. I was like tired. And the tea house itself is a little more hidden than the Lake Agnes one. So you kind of don't know (laughs) when you're getting to it. But sometimes people coming down would be like, don't worry, you're almost there. (laughs) Like it's, it's right around the bend. Well, nice for them because they're on their way back down. But you're right, it is hidden. And it's not like you can see it from a distance and you can see that distance closing. And so you get excited to get to the tea house and then you get let down as you make a turn or go over a little elevation rise and see that you're not at the tea house that there's another one and you're starting to like when does this ever end i just want my tea and biscuits come on man like yeah now when you get there i mean golly is it worth it because it's it's a big of um i'm sorry it's a bit of a bigger site than the lake agnes tea house the tea house is a little bit it's the tea house is probably about the same size but there's also like bunkies because that one's so far that staff members stay up there um the number of picnic tables outside the tea house itself was built in 1924 by swiss guides employed by the canadian pacific railway and it was constructed to house mountaineers en route to mount victoria and mount lafroy So today the tea house offers a little bit of a different suite of refreshments than Lake Agnes. There was sandwiches and soup, which were like both phenomenal. Again, it has no electricity, no running water. And Dan had mentioned making sure you take the time to go to the washroom. I just want to say how thrilled I was about these outhouses. I was so excited about like the ingenuity of these outhouses that I took a photo of it and I did put it on Instagram and it was actually a really pretty photo, but basically they have these like very rudimentary outhouses, but they're on rails. So the actual, like the entire outhouse slides back and forth. And there was a couple of them. There was almost like a raised platform made out of wood that you would step onto to get into the outhouse. But because they're just like vaults, when the vaults get full, they have to figure it out. They can't just empty it. There's no truck coming up there to pump it out. So they actually have, I think, four or five vaults underneath each of the outhouses so that when one's full, they like roll it forward or roll it back to a a vault that is empty or emptier 
Although I meant to ask somebody when we were there, like, how do they actually get it out? Or is it composting or like what happens? Don't ask the question. You don't want the answer to. I'm interested. (laughs) It's just, it's a really cool, really ingenious way to handle, you know, everybody's doing their business. So I think it's pretty cool. So from the Plain of Six Glaciers, you will spy Mounts Lefroy, Temple, and Huber, as well as kind of the crown jewel, which is Mount Victoria. The north summit of Mount Victoria is actually 11,000 feet, and it's a super challenging hike for mountaineers. Interestingly, I found out that it is also the most photographed mountain in the world, which I thought was really interesting, but then it kind of makes sense because that's the mountain you see in the background of any picture of Lake Louise, which is probably the most photographed, one of the most photographed lakes for sure. I also discovered there is a trail from Plain of Six Glaciers up to the top or the summit of Mount Victoria. However, everybody says do not take that one. There is another trail that goes up the opposite side, which is a whole lot safer. And I will explain why. So nestled between Mount Lefroy and Mount Victoria, there happens to be a pass called the Abbott Pass, which straddles the Continental Divide. There's also a very small stone hut there, which was built as a hiker's refuge. And the pass is named after Philip Stanley Abbott, who became the first mountaineering fatality in all of North America after he fell in an attempt to make the first ascent of Mount Lefroy in 1896. So the hut was originally built in 1922 by those same Swiss guides, and much of the construction material was actually carried from Lake Louise on horseback across the Victoria Glacier. And it was winched on or carried on the guides' backs up the pass. It's actually a really cool building, but The entire point is that the pass between the two mountains is known as the death trap. And the reason it's known as the death trap is because you tend to get avalanches and a lot of like ice slides. And while we were there, there was probably three or four times where you could just hear the absolute boom, which I mean, it was a lot smaller than it sounded, but you could hear these kind of like mini avalanches and mini ice falls as the glacier kind of eroded away. So that's the path you have to take if you're going to summit Mount Victoria from Plain of Six Glaciers. So I would say don't attempt unless you know what you're doing. And those were kind of cool little mini avalanches. Like, I don't know that we got a cool look at it, but you could definitely hear it. And it's really neat to hear the earth doing its business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So overall, the Tea House Challenge is advertised as a minimum five-hour hike. It took us seven and a half hours to complete from start to finish, but that included our stop. So I think we did pretty good. I would rate the second half for sure as more challenging, obviously, And like we talked about, you're going to have to have sturdy shoes if you're doing that one, layers, water, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, like the day kind of plays out like this. We get everybody up er and early out of the trailer. We get where we're going. We park in the back of the parking lot because it was already filling up, even though we got there kind of just after opening. And we start our walk and we end up at the first tea house at like, what, say 10, 10, 15 in the morning? Like 9.30. 9.30. Point being that... You know, we got up there by 9.30 and at 9.30 of the day, you're not going to call it quits. So we decided to push on to the second one. And then that's when it kind of chewed up our time, mm-hmm. right? We get up to the second one, we start to come down, you know, the girls getting all excited, decide to tear off, you know, away from mom and dad because they're going to beat us to the bottom, which they did handily because they weren't going to get beat. Meanwhile, you know, mom and dad are kind of not moving as quick as we started the day, but it was a really just an awesome day to feel like you accomplished something. Mm -hmm. Like I think overall we were done by 3.30 or 4 o'clock. Oh, for sure, yeah. Although I will say going down like hurt so much. I'm not going to lie. My knees 
were absolutely on fire on the way down. Going up was so much less of a problem. But I will actually mention, we should mention the tool that saved our lives. And that was when we parked, I made Dan go back up to the truck after asking him strategic questions like two or three times. Hey, aren't your hiking poles in the truck? You might want to go back and get them. Let's talk about how awesome Dan was. Because Dan just wanted to get started. Like, we're already up there. Let's, like, let's put our phones in our pockets and stop taking pictures and get rolling. Yeah. But Melina's right. She suggested heavily that I go back and get these hiking sticks. And we have two sets of hiking sticks. Not expensive at all. We picked up one set at Costco and we picked up, I picked up the other set on clearance from Mountain Equipment Co-op, but both sets were like under $40. Just collapsible. Collapsible, really super light. Yeah. Best investment we ever made, Mm -hmm. I think, right? The girls didn't need them, but you and I (laughs) relied on them heavily and probably we could have done the hike without them. Yeah. But I don't know that the day after or the day after the day after would have been Mm -hmm. as good for us. Yeah. They were super handy tools for sure. A hundred percent. So you listen, if you want to go spend some money or bring something, they pack away so small. In fact, I leave a set underneath the, the seat in the truck there all the time and they got used so Mm -hmm. a great little tidbit or hint yeah for sure so i would say overall the day trip like we were probably back at our campsite in banff just shortly before six and then we ended up ordering pizza from a hotel in banff which was like the best pizza we'd ever had and i don't know whether that was the pizza or the fact that we were just exhausted and like ready for pizza and beer but we had both and it was delicious so staying in banff is is totally doable to do a day trip to lake louise we could Probably have turned around and done it again the next day to go to Lake Moraine, but we were leaving. So, and again, Lake Moraine's pretty much the same deal. Like go canoeing. I mean, it's very busy, but there's like not a huge hotel on the lake. Um, So a lot you can do, but the same sort of glacial fed, you know, lake. You could probably pick one, in my opinion, and feel like you had experienced those glacial lakes. Yeah, between this episode and the last episode where we talked about the town of Banff and we talked about horseback riding and some of the museums, like there's a lot to do in Banff. Mm -hmm. And I think that rather than trying to jump around campgrounds and get close to the next attraction, it's probably a pretty good trip to go out there for as much time as you can dedicate to it. We all have different lengths of time. Set up a home base and use that to jump out and get up to Lake Louise or Moraine Lake or horseback riding or hundreds of other things that you can possibly do there and do it as as a home base setup would be my recommendation. Agreed. So that's it. That pretty much wraps up Lake Louise. Look for our first new episode back at the beginning of 2022, where we will move on to Jasper National Park, which was also very, very cool. And that will kick off season three. Jasper was just awesome. Like I remember the drive up. There's couple cool little restaurants gas type stops like i that jasper's really cool Mm -hmm. i like jasper so stay tuned for that folks happy holidays stay safe stay warm and we will catch up with you soon bye-bye bye-bye